Joe and I can't wait to watch this team soar at the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Go, Go USA. USA! Rose Lavelle is back on the case and she's ready to do some damage down under. It is my honor to announce to you, number 13, Alex Morgan. Trinity Robin, welcome to your first World Cup. Go kick some ass and bring back that victory. Hey, hey, hi, girl, close shout out, Megan, the legend Rupino. She has shined for years with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team, and she's going to continue to do so. Congratulations, Andy Sullivan. You are going to your very first World Cup. And I am honored to welcome Lindsay Horan back to the World Cup. Colorado Kids and World Cups, Sophia Smith is getting the call up. Savannah DeMello is headed to the Women's World Cup. Our youngest player on the roster, Alyssa Thompson. Julie Ertz, congratulations on being selected to your third World Cup roster. Kelly O'Hara, Kelly Slater here. I want to congratulate you on making your fourth World Cup team. Emily Fox, congratulations on making the World Cup roster. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Kristen Mewis, you have just landed a spot on the U.S. women's national team. Crystal Dunn. Welcome to your second Women's World Cup team. To make the World Cup roster, you need a few things. Grit. You can't see me speed. And for this player, two elbows made of steel. Lynn Williams, welcome to the squad. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. We are now 48 hours removed, Herc, from the U.S. Women's National Team dropping their World Cup roster. You've been there. What are those last few hours like on the bubble, huh? <laughs> Traumatizing. Uh, by the way, congrats to all the women, uh, those who made it and those who did not make it. This mm -hmm. will certainly not be the end of your story. Uh, the men got Taylor Twelman and Jermaine Jones. Look at the women. Oh, my goodness. Roll out the red carpet. Was that John Cena I just saw? John Jeez. Cena, dude. They got Taylor Swift in there. I couldn't see let's, him. Let, let, let's acknowledge the star power here. All right, speaking of star power, Herc. Herc's got a one-on-one -on -one with Christian Pulisic a little bit later in the show. So great star power there on both sides of that interview. We're also going to be taking a look at the Gold Cup. That's right. It's already just about to start. So we'll be doing our brackets ahead of the <sighs> kickoff games this weekend. And we have some shots fired, Herc, towards Major League Soccer from none other than Gareth Bale. But let's start with the news of the week. Vlatko Andonovsky announcing the 23-player roster he'll be taking to the Women's World Cup. Of course, starts July 21st, U.S. against Vietnam. By the way, July 21st, if anything else in American soccer is thinking about happening that day, maybe just, just put it off. Uh, nine players returning from the 2019 World Cup winning side. Among them, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe, Kelly O'Hara, who you see there, her fourth World Cup. 14 players for whom this will be their first World Cup. And the list includes, as you see here, Seven midfielders to go along with seven defenders, six forwards, and the three goalies. There's the firepower up top, led, of course, by Alex Morgan. Here's Vlatko Andonovsky talking about the tough choices with Al Duncan on SportsCenter. Obviously, uh, when, we, when you have the depth that uh, we have, uh, that uh, US Women National Team uh, has, it's not easy to uh, to get it down to 23. Uh, some good players did not uh, get a chance to make it, and that was probably one of the toughest things to do uh, to get it get it down to what uh, what were the type of the players, what are the players that we need to uh, 
to get success on the field. Certainly, I mentioned that there's a few two-time champs, and they're also household names. I'm talking about Morgan, Rapino, and Ertz. How important is that kind of stable veteran leadership in a tournament like this? It's uh, uh, very important. I mean, uh, with play, uh, without players like uh, like uh, the ones that you mentioned, uh, Rapino and Morgan and uh, uh, Julia, it's Crystal Dunn. Uh, it's uh, it's almost impossible to do it. You you have to know. You have to have someone that that knows how uh, how to get it done. You have to know someone that has gone through it, and you have to have someone that uh, has gone through some tough times and still figure out a way to get results. Uh, you're coaching a team, and I mentioned it, that has such high expectations having won back-to-back -back World Cups. Considering the gold standard, you are the gold standard in the sport at this point, um, but the rest of the world is caught up, right? And it's expected that this is going to be the most competitive Women's World Cup ever. You feeling any pressure? Is the squad feeling that? I don't think so. I mean, personally, you know, the pressure came the moment I took this job. Uh, you know, the expectations are very clear. We, you know, we have to win it all. And uh, it's the same thing with the players. They come in this environment uh, with the mindset that uh, we, we win every game. We're going to win every game. Uh, the expectations are to win every game. And it's not something that, that, that we even talk about. I mean, this is the type of mentality that, uh, that has been established a long time ago, way before I was a coach or any of these players uh, played on the team all right for more thrilled to welcome into football americas our good friend jeff kasuf you can of course read him on espn.com equalizer soccer as well and jeff do i have this right you're gonna be writing for the the guardian as well covering the u.s women's national team at the world cup the british are that interested in the u.s huh <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a busy time definitely busy go. time worldwide interest in the uh, reigning World Cup champion. So let's dive in on this roster, Jeff. For me, uh, the big mission for Vladko Andonovsky, especially after the Olympic disappointment, was making this team not just younger, right, but more dynamic. Now, the team that he took to Tokyo, average age right around 31. The average age here, 28 and a half. So it's definitely younger. Uh, is it young enough? Was there enough of a, a generational overhaul? Is this team dynamic enough to improve on what we saw at the last major international tournament? Yeah, I think there was enough of an overhaul. I think it's it's kind of shocking to to see that it, you know, in terms of young enough, the average age of this roster is essentially the same as it was the past two cycles in 2015 and 2019. So, you know, I think you look at that and say, you know, it's easy to look at it, this roster and say, okay, this is definitely younger, but it's actually, it's more so that it's less experienced. And mm. some of these first time players, you look at a Christy Mewis, a Lynn Williams, they're not, they're certainly not old, right? But they're not 20 years old coming in fresh into their career, you know, brand new players. So. Um, th there are a lot of new players, 14 players making their first World Cup appearance. That's significant. It's more than last time. But in terms of young enough um, or younger, um, it's it's not much younger than the past cycles. I do think that Lakonovsky has found those talents that will be expected to be around in the next cycle or many cycles to come in Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma, right? I, I mean, just to name two. I think, you know, Trinity Rodman, there, there are players here that we should expect to see for a long time. But I don't think that this is, it's clearly not by the numbers, suddenly some extremely young roster. It's actually roughly the same average age. Jeff, let's talk about the surprise call-ups. I remember my World Cup, I was a big surprise. Zero actually games played in the lead up to that cycle. So I was paying attention to this. Who's your surprise call-up? Yeah, I mean, look, we talked last week about league play and Savannah DeMello. And, you know, I think that it's hard to, to not say that, right? I mean, I think you look at, 
there, there are players and, and Kelly O'Hara, one who is a veteran and, and you know, um, look, I mean, she was injured and, and had some struggles um, with, with health, but she's there for, for a variety of reasons. But I think you look at Savannah DeMello, um, it, it's a surprise in that she's uncapped. It's only the third time this has ever happened. Shannon Box in 2003, Debbie Keller in 1995, had an uncapped player's name to a World Cup roster. Um, as you allude to there, Herc, it's, it's, you know, it's very rare, right? So um, I, I don't think it's a surprise in that that momentum seemed to be coming in terms of her league form. It's just been undeniable, unstoppable. But um, this is a team that's notoriously hard to break into. You know, Vlakononovsky has talked about wanting them, wanting all these players to have enough experience ahead of the World Cup, something around 30 caps. And then obviously they have a player with zero caps. Is she going to play a prominent role? I mean, TBD, I think a lot of that will depend on Rose Lavelle's health in terms of how much we see Ashley Sanchez and Savannah DeMello. But yeah, I think anytime you have an uncapped player coming into a 23-player squad like this at this big moment, um, it, it certainly warrants a, a level of surprise. Yeah, I think it, it makes you question what the answers are in midfield, right? When, when you see a player that hasn't really been used. And if, if Vlatko Andonofsky right now has those answers, I think the fact that Julie Ertz is included is another, you know, big question mark when you think about that American midfield and kind of, you know, things players who haven't really had a huge run-up with this national team uh, in the last couple of years getting called in late. I think it raises an eyebrow or two. Let, let's, let's talk about the snubs here, okay? Because anytime you talk about a World Cup roster, somebody gets left off. Now, there are some injuries, players like Midge Purse, who, who might have made it if they weren't hurt. But I'm talking about your healthy players, your Sam Coffees, your Ashley Hatch. I might even throw a Tierna Davidson in there. Uh, who do you think had the best case, Jeff, that ends up getting left off here? Yeah, I mean, I think Sam Coffey certainly had a, a strong case. You know, I, I think you look at this team over the past year and, and Ashley Hatch is a player who, you know, was the backup number nine for really a year or more, um, you know, and, and I think was, look, she's been very good in league play for the Washington Spirit this season. I think when you look at the the directive from Vlako Nanofsky to all these players to go do it at the league level for the couple months, and, you know, you look at what Hatch has done with the Spirit so far this season, she's done everything she could in terms of showing that at the club level. Now, the final decision, we look at how this played out and and the bottom line here tells us that Vlako Nanofsky is more confident in Sophia Smith as a number nine option if, if you know assuming as we we should that uh, Alex Morgan's playing the nine role Smith is on one of the wings but if there needs to be a rotation if there needs to be a change Smith is more than capable obviously a number nine for the Portland Thorns at MVP level last season so I think that answered the question as as to what this forward line could look like in rotation. And it's that Andonofsky has that faith in Smith and that there's good depth on the wing. So if Smith were to come in, you've got Alyssa Thompson, you have Trinity Rodman, you have Lynn Williams, you have Megan Rapino in probably more of a super sub role. So I think that Hatch was a surprise in that she was there throughout this process. There's really no other pure number nine in terms of only plays that position. Again, a lot of these players play multiple positions. So I think that that's a bit of a surprise. But when you look at the reasoning for it, I think it all is is justified in terms of, you know, Smith being able to play that and, and you know, Williams, the depth that I mentioned on the wing. But um, I, I think, you know, in terms of heartbreakers that aren't injury related, I think Hatch is probably atop the list there. Ah, the biggest one. That's my nine right there. You said it yourself. The only true nine behind uh, Alex Morgan. You're really putting all your eggs in that basket right there for a player who's, I believe, 33, 34 years of age. Anything happens, that's, that's dangerous. Way to roll the dice there. Um, I think Smith can fill that role really well, too, though. Yeah, yeah. 
Could yeah. be, could be. Let's talk about the injury absence. A couple big injuries going on right now. I want to ask you who's going to have the bigger impact as far as not being there, Mallory Swanson or Becky Sauerbrunn? Yeah, this is like the impossible task here, guys. I mean, look, you know, I mean, Sauerbrunn, I've, I've written about her leadership um, this week, and, and I think impossible to replace that, right? Uh, just intangible in a way. But, you know, I, I look at Mallory Swanson, too, and the form that she was in. And, you know, I, I, we talked about Mallory Pugh previously, obviously, in 2019. She, there was a lot of hype around her, a lot of attention on her, and it wasn't the World Cup that she wanted. She was, she readily admitted that, right? You look at the last two years of her form, the form she was in this winter coming into spring, I mean, lights out, unstoppable for the U.S. I really felt like this was probably the World Cup where we were going to see her play at that level that people maybe thought she would have been at four years ago, maybe have been waiting for. And that level really would have been, by all indications of the past two years, even the past few months when she was healthy, world-class, perhaps putting her name down as a world player of the year in the form that she was in, assuming that she carried that over and that the U.S. did well. So, look, they're, they're both going to be missed incredibly. I think Sauerbrunn might be harder to replace even in terms of the depth mm. at center back. But, you know, the form that Swanson was in, I think, was was something that, unfortunately, maybe she never gets back in, in her career in this exact moment, but just absolute sort of peak to, to all world levels. And I think that's really going to hurt um, the U.S. and obviously is is a huge uh, bummer for her. Jeff, to your point about depth at center back, what do we make of the news that Julie Ertz might eventually be trotted out as a center back? I thought he was she was here to kind of save the day in the center of the park <laughs> in that number six role. Now we hear it might be at in central defense. Uh, do you believe this is really going to happen in the World Cup? Look, I think Julie Ertz is playing the, the number six role. Um, I think if we were to see her at the center back role, I think it would be uh, a real more of an, an emergency situation in terms of maybe not within a game, but that would really be a problem in terms of, OK, the center back pairing that he's chosen is not working out. Look, obviously, she was she was a amazing as a center back in 2015 2019 we saw her do that as, as number six but Ertz is back in this team because they've needed that answer in the midfield so Sauerbrunn is a huge loss and, and I think it puts immense pressure now on Naomi Gurma and Alana Cook in those center back roles but um, look I, I mean to, to move Ertz from the number six to the center back role to solve that problem I think just recreates a problem that she came back to solve, right? So right. <laughs> I, I see her as the number six. Um, I, I don't maybe in a pinch, she, she slides back there, but I just don't see um, at this moment that, that she's like a starting center back by any means. Jeff, before we let you go, I believe it was on the interview with Al Duncan on SportsCenter. Vladko Anonofsky said he believes this team has, you know, the talent, what it takes to, to win it all. Obviously, a, a coach is going to say that. Do you agree with him? I think it has a talent. Um, I, I said this, I've written this. I, I, World Cups are about timing. And I think the timing question is going to be the one that that could be tough for this this squad. I mean, we mentioned some of the experience. Um, you know, I, I think the injuries alone is, is a timing problem. I mean, the, the amount of talent left on the sideline by injuries for, for this U.S. team. So, you know, I, I think we've seen it. We saw it in 2019. They were peaking at the right time, right? And a lot of teams around them that had plenty of talent were not necessarily doing that. And now you look at 2023, are they peaking at the right time? I think there's talent here. Again, we named some of them earlier that, that will last several cycles. There, there's no questioning the fact that they can do it. Can they do it 
can they all put that together right now in the in the coming month or two here? Um, I, I think that's a real challenge for a group that that hasn't gotten a lot of time together. It's had so many moving parts because of injuries, because of changes, and just continuity is a real thing. And there haven't been a lot of opportunities for that. And and there's only one send-off game against Wales. It's not impossible. I think it's a, a favorable bracket. Um, I, I think the talent is there, but I think that the timing issue and the, and the continuity that comes with that, and, and Herc, you can probably speak to this in terms of having a group together, right, and, with enough time and, and gelling, I think that's really going to be the tough part for this U.S. team that, that could be the downfall. Mm. Also worth noting, the competition, four years more advanced and yep. evolved, so it uh, should be very interesting. All right, Jeff, probably the next time we'll talk to you when you're in New Zealand, but maybe again before that. So uh, great to have <laughs> you with us here on Football Americas, and if we don't see you before then, safe travels. Let's go, yeah, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There he is, uh, Jeff Kasouf, of course, ESPN.com, Equalizer Soccer, and The Guardian this summer uh, covering the U.S. women's national team for all their fans uh, across the world. Here's a look at the schedule. Farewell match in San Jose, California on July 9th against Wales. And then the World Cup starts for the United States the night of July 21st against Vietnam, Netherlands on July 26th. And then they wrap up group play against Portugal on August 1st. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Chelsea and Christian Pulisic. Brilliantly to work that back to Pulisic. He'll make it two. Beautiful finish from Christian Pulisic. Chelsea was a dumpster fire. Christian Pulisic is on, he, he's in a different table right now. Reyna went down, Pulisic pounces, Pulisic! He is the man in the mirror! He scores against Mexico again! He looks spry, he looked fit, he looked fresh, he looked up for the challenge. Way up, Pulisic! That's two for the American captain! Just me and my team, just me and my team. Christian, man, thank you so much. Uh, this is crazy. <laughs> what is this exactly? I mean, it's a ballistic stomping grounds. It's the legacy program with Puma. This is insane. I've never seen anything like it. What is this? Yeah, so, you know, my first talks with Puma, this was really kind of, this was my dream, and, and I wanted to grow the sport in this country. And they had some great ideas, and, and this is kind of what we came up with. We want to continue to build stuff like this around the country just to help grow the sport and 
you can see all the excitement on the kids' faces. So I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's come out really well. Let's talk about that excitement. Why Miami? I mean, this is specifically in Miami. We're a couple blocks away from Calle Ocho, which is a famous place here. Why not in the suburbs? So. I think one of the one of the you know main goals of it as well is kind of to serve these you know these underserved communities which maybe don't have access to you know nicer fields like this where they can come out and just play and play for free and, and just enjoy the game and, and and I you know I didn't have much of that growing up I just remember moving to England for a year I would play on this court every day outside my school and just play free and enjoy time with my friends and I hope that the kids can get a little bit of a sense of that and I mean I feel like so much of my game is from that kind of playing free and, and that kind of thing so. Hopefully they can have something like that here. Let's talk about playing every day. Um, obviously, there isn't much of a pickup culture here in the United States. I see your game and I see a lot of that pickup culture. You're a very good 1v1 player. How important is it to you to kind of instill that culture here in the States? For me, it's, it's super important. It's one of the reasons why you know I wanted to do something like this. I mean, you see some of these um, some of these prodigies and all these skillful players, for example, coming out of Brazil, coming out of some of these South American countries and um, different places. And uh, you know, why can't we do that here? And I think a lot of the reason is because they're just over there playing free and trying all these things with their friends out in the you know having fields, places like this where they can go and just express themselves. And, and I hope that we can you know grow that and have that kind of feeling, especially in communities like this. And uh, I think it could be. You know, could be a huge growth for the sport. Let's talk about expressing yourself. You expressed yourself very well this past weekend in the Nations League in those two games. Let's talk about the Mexico game specifically. What made this game different from the Mexico games of the past? I mean, I, <laughs> you've definitely seen a little bit of everything when we played Mexico. It's always going to be, it's always going to be a good game. It's going to be a battle. It's obviously, you know, we tried to kind of stay away from the rivalry talk before the game, but once that whistle goes, it's just, uh, it's a battle, man. And uh, we obviously, you know, went up and, and, and got the goals that we needed. And unfortunately, the game got a bit nasty. It got a bit crazy for sure. There was definitely more fights, red cards, a bit more than, than we'd like to see uh, because, you know, it's not, that's not all the game is about. But unfortunately, when, when things get you know get intense like that, you know, really anything happens, and we saw that. This Why do you think it got so out of hand? Because there was four red cards. There was four red cards. Um, I mean, you know, it started it started with them. Um, just kind of lashing out. I mean, there was obviously a few, you know, really tough tackles, which which is, comes from frustration out of them, which is understandable. But it also, we have to stay, we have to stay more level-headed. I think, uh, we, you know, we, we obviously lost some players for the final as well, um, some big players for us, and uh, yeah, we we lost our heads a bit, and that that's on us. But um, I mean, you, you can, I think, a lot of people could agree that that the game, uh, the refs really lost control of. How yeah. Yeah. What is it about Mexico that brings out the best in you? I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's four goals versus Mexico now. Uh, All-time, retired all-time leading goal scorer versus Mexico. What is it about that team that brings out the best in you? So, I don't know if it's, you know, Mexico specifically that I, you know, like to perform against. I think I love playing in big games. Um, I love playing in big games, you know, against against rival, you know, rival countries. And uh, it just so happens that I've scored quite a few goals against Mexico. Um, and when games like that come around, I'm, I'm always ready. I'm I have my best preparation and I'm definitely motivated. You had uh, some very iconic moments, or you guys have had iconic moments versus Mexico. Uh, in Denver, CONCACAF Nations League final, you shushed the crowd. Um, there was also the Man in the Mirror uh, t-shirt that you broke out in Cincinnati. Uh, we saw Weston with a ripped shirt against the Mexican national. The, the Dos Acero celebration, the rock, paper, scissors. Uh, what's the most iconic of them all? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think my personal favorite is probably the the man in the mirror. Um, just the way, just the just the way that happened. Um, I literally decided to write that like 
two minutes before the game. One of my teammates actually wrote it. And uh, it just so happened I go in and score on my first touch. And just the way it happened was pretty cool. But I mean, Weston's moment this last game, uh, there's been some, some, pretty special, some pretty special moments against them. Uh, was that Timothy Weah who wrote that? Who was it who wrote it? Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Timothy Weah was in the idea. I think Aaron Long actually wrote it. Okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even remember. All right, I have to ask you. It was Mexico. Mexico just fired their coach. It's literally seven games. Their only loss being to you guys, and they just fired the coach. What's your initial reaction? I mean, I, you know, I don't know everything that's going on. Um, within their their federation or, or you know whatever the situation is so i don't want to comment too much um, obviously we played a great game against them um, and it was a tough one for them absolutely but i know that they'll come back and um, come back with strong teams ready to battle many of us found out uh, about greg berhalter coming back to the u.s men's national team moments i'm talking about maybe minutes before you guys kicked off uh, when did you find out about greg berhalter coming back and what was your initial reaction um, I found out in the mix zone after the game when somebody asked me what I thought about it and I didn't even know it was true yet so it was interesting for me to find out that way um, but uh, obviously he hearing about it uh, yeah I, I, we didn't know what would happen to be honest um, you know I said it in the, you know in interviews it is a testament to the team how well we performed um, and just continued on with him not being there it's 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 his staff we're playing in a very similar fashion a similar style um, and I think you have to give him a lot of credit for, for how much this team has grown in recent years I have to ask you because you you were very vocal about Greg Berhalter and, and you kind of backing him, your support for him. Um, even when maybe most fans weren't, why were you so like adamant about Greg Berhalter coming back? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even wouldn't even say I'm adamant about trying to bring back Greg in so much. I. I just have to give credit where credit's due. And and it does frustrate me a little bit and just seeing um, just kind of all the negative press towards him, I mean, that people tell me about. And I just, I can't fully understand it, uh, what exactly. I mean, he's come in and, you know, won the Nations League, won the Gold Cup. You know, we win the Nations League again. You know, had a solid World Cup. Are there things that you can criticize here and there? Sure, and I think he'd agree with that. but. It's, uh, it just seems a bit, it seems a bit crazy to me, um, the criticism, and uh, I just, uh, like I said, I, I have to give credit where credit's due. Can he take this team to the next level? And if so, what is that next level? I mean, absolutely. I think, uh, I think he can do it, but I think uh, just the players in this group are so hungry. Um, no matter who the coach is, um, I, I see a team that's hungry and, and ready to improve. One that is, you know, from when we failed to qualify last time around, I mean, just the change in, in the team and, and the way that we look now and how much you know, more confident I feel going out there with this, this group of guys. Um, I think it's a team that, that, uh, that people can even fear. I mean, it's a, it's a tough team. I wouldn't want to play against our midfield at all. So, so uh, I'm curious. Um, a while back, I believe, it was after the World Cup qualifying game in Nashville versus Canada, you said that you guys needed new ideas, new solutions. Many took that as kind of a shot at Greg. I'm curious, what changed in that process where, where you bought it? I think I think I bought in. I think a lot of different players bought in. I, I think it's a. Uh... It's been a process. I mean, it, it was never going to happen overnight, and I think that was when the team was very fresh, very new. You know, a lot of you know new faces, and uh, I mean, I think you can see the growth since then. I think it comes with confidence. It comes with winning in these big moments, winning trophies, lifting trophies, having that trust and confidence in each other that you know we are good enough and we are a, we are a good team. And, and with that confidence, just comes you know more results. And, and now we just uh, we feel even better you know around each other. I don't recall ever 
feeling that you were a vocal guy, that type of leader. I think you got a quiet confidence about you. But there was a video that went viral before the game, and you told the locker room, we didn't come here to beat Mexico. Why was that important for you to say? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're here to win a trophy. Um, you know, we, uh, we obviously have a tough you know, task in front of us, and, and that's the first step. But at the end of the day, um, that was just the first step, and uh, we're here to win a trophy. That, that's our overall goal. Do you feel like you're growing into this vocal leadership role? Because when I think vocal leader on the, uh, in this pool, I think Tyler Adams. But you're growing into your own. Do you feel that? I think it's important uh, for a guy like myself, you know, maybe slightly more introverted. You, you've never heard me speak um, so much. And, and I mean, I think if you ask the team, I don't speak that much, even as a captain role. I think it's important for me to lead by example. I think, uh, you know, I hope guys look up to me, you know, in that way and, and just see a professional who's always gonna, gonna give it his all and, and fight for this team um, and, and give my best. And I think when you do that, um, you inspire the others to, to do the same. I say a lot of things in this industry and, and every once in a while I have to give a mea culpa. Um, I had to give one to BJ Callahan because I called him Andy Bernard. He was the assistant to the assistant, you know, in the office type of deal. But he, you have to give him credit. He really just pressed all the right buttons. I mean, just talk to me about what you saw from BJ Callahan and your perspective already being in that locker room and what he offered. Absolutely. Um, I have a great relationship with BJ. I mean, and he, he spoke to me even before the camp and he said, like, look, I want to I want to make you guys, you know, now that I'm <laughs> I mean, I think he kind of accepted the role he was. He knows he was the assistant, you know, another assistant um, went by. Now Anthony was gone and now he's, he's in the spotlight. He said, look, I want to get all your feedback and I want to help and I want to be a part of this. And, and, and I think I said to him before the camp, we trust you. We, we trust you. We, we know what you bring. Um, come in and, and bring you give your plan and we'll we'll, we'll adjust off of that. And uh, he did a great job in, in being a leader and stepping up. And like you said, I think he made a lot of great decisions. And uh, I love the way that you know the teams he put out I love the way that the team was playing so it was a it was a really good game one of the biggest decisions was playing Gio Reyna centrally he looked good especially in that final talk to me about what you saw in that first half and maybe what you saw after he came out at halftime yeah I think uh, I mean I'd say that this is the best I've seen Gio um, and I was really happy to see it um, he's He's going to be a big part of this program moving forward. We all see it. Um, we're continuing to grow as a you know a relationship on the field, off the field. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, I'm enjoying seeing him grow as a player. Um, you know everything that that's like happened or, or whatever. I think it's it's so far behind us, and I, I just like the I love the player that he's becoming, um, the person he is, and uh, I uh, obviously like you said in that position as well. Um, I have to give him a lot of credit. He, he looks really good there. In your interview okay. with Graham Hunter for ESPN, you mentioned how you weren't too pleased um, with everything that happened with his parents in the World Cup. Where are you now with him? Uh, yeah, I think it's so far in the past. Um, something that, obviously, the way it transpired, everything, uh, you know, I guess we kind of lost a lot of time with our coach. So, it, uh, yeah, the way things happened weren't great, but it was no shot at anyone. I wasn't trying to go after someone. Um, we're moved on from that now, and I'm really happy with the way that the team looks. What would success be like for the U.S. Men's National Team at Copa America? I think uh, obviously when you go to a tournament, we go there to win. That, that's our that's our overall goal. I think uh, you know we're gonna go in again. It's it's two tournaments. First, you got to get out of the group. That's that's our first focus. Once we do that, um, you know these knockout games in Nations League and World Cup, they're only helping us grow. And we want to go and uh, take it game by game and, and win as many as we can. And, and you know try to lift the trophy at the end of it. Let's talk club career. Big questions. How important was this summer when you're talking about your club career going forward? Yeah, it's a big summer for me, for sure. I think, uh, 
you know, there, there's a lot of talk, and, and I was so focused this week on what I was doing with the national team that it was kind of hard to, to think about all that. But uh, it's absolutely a time where I, I need to figure out what's what's going to be best for my future and, and somewhere where I can go and uh, and play, play and, and be trusted and, and feel good in what I'm doing. Um, and I want to find that that joy uh, at a club level again for sure. What do you need at a club level to be successful? I think it's I think it's what all players need. I think you want to go somewhere where you're wanted and somewhere where you feel comfortable playing. Uh, somewhere where you can enjoy going out and, and, and fighting and, and doing what you do uh, on a weekly basis. And uh, that's it. That's it. Sometimes you need a new start. Um, sometimes you know. Other times you don't. You got to find what's you know what's best for you and, and just you got to be in the best headspace uh, mentally and uh, somewhere where you, uh, yeah you can find that joy again. You know, coaching changes are always difficult for players. That's been kind of the case at Chelsea. Lots of coaching changes. Mauricio Pochettino is there now. Does he being appointed manager impact your future with the club? It can. Uh, it can. You, you never really know. Um, I've obviously had quite a few coaching uh, changes in my career, and that's it's no excuse or anything. That's just a, that's a part of, uh, of every player's career. And, uh, yeah, you never know. You, sometimes you can get a fresh start. You get a new opportunity. Um, other times, um, yeah, maybe you don't feel it's best and you feel that a move is best for you and, and you got to decide, uh, decide what's best for yourself. Two questions. First question, uh, if not Chelsea, is the Premier League still the best league for you? Uh, I don't know if necessarily um, I would say that. Big question. Is there a timeline for your decision, Christian? Uh, not necessarily a timeline. Obviously, there's a transfer window, uh, so ideally um, you make decisions before then. But uh, I wouldn't say that I'm giving it all. By this day, I need exactly to get this done. I want to I wanna make sure I make the right decision at the end of the day. Excellent work there, uh, Hercules Gomez. Credit to you for, uh, for tracking down the exclusive interview there. Uh, let's start decoding some of what he was saying about his, his club future. What do you think? Is there, is there any hope for a return to Chelsea? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, I think he mentioned it in his initial answer about sometimes you need to change the scenery. I think he kind of cleaned it up right after. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you don't, but I think his initial answer will let you know what pretty much everybody um, knows, that Christian Pulisic you know, should have that change of scenery, allow himself to be somewhere where he is valued and he could be confident because that is clearly how you get the best out of Christian Pulisic. Uh, what did you make about his comments on Greg Berhalter? I don't want to say he's walking back his support, but it feels a little bit like that. I think specifically because you use the word adamant in the question, which allows him to be like, well, not adamant. Right. Uh, what you, would you make of his response? I actually thought it was the opposite. Like, I didn't think he was walking it back. I almost thought he was doubling it down. Cause, okay. Because, yeah, because he even said he was upset with some of the negative press that they had gotten. And now, he's not the only one. We had Matt Turner on this very show. Called you a vulture. Well, I think he was talking to you. <laughs> but he called, he called those who say negative things about the mm -hmm. team vultures. So I think there's a stance now where where they know what they want. And in Greg Berhalter, they got somebody that mm -hmm. valued them. And I think it's very important for players like Christian Pulisic is him feeling that love, him feeling that value. And listen, it's clearly the best way to get something out of Christian Pulisic, or get the best out of Christian Pulisic is for him to feel that. So I don't know about walking it back. I didn't get that impression. Mm -hmm. I, I think the other thing that stands out to this is not just his take, but I think when you hear him speak, you kind of feel like he speaks to the dressing room on Gio Reyna. It is very, very clear, and I yeah. think the two performances in Nations League certainly don't hurt. Uh, this team is over what happened in the World Cup and even the disastrous fallout after. 
Yeah, that's evident. I mean, anybody you talk to in the national team just wants to turn the page. Uh, but when you speak about Gio Reyna, they don't want to turn the page on Gio Reyna. They want the exact opposite. They want more mm -hmm. Gio Reyna. They want the best version of Gio Reyna. And he said it was the best version of Gio Reyna that he's ever seen. It's hard to really think anything else but that from what we saw of Gio Reyna versus Mexico and that first half versus Canada. Gio Reyna's 20 years old. I know we keep saying Gio Reyna's young, 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 and he is, but he's been at this for a while and he's exploding on at the right time. Now it's time for him to also take that responsibility and show us a player that we all think he can be. Pulisic with some strong words on Reyna in a big interview. Herc, speaking of big interviews, Greg Berhalter giving his first interview since being reintroduced as U.S. men's national team manager, and it was with the Jim Rome Show. Let's listen to a couple excerpts. It was it was interesting, you know. Um, so there was you know personality tests, there was abstract learning tests, there were tasks, there was interpersonal communication tests. I mean, there, there it was a whole whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I really embraced it. I thought it was um, it was great. It was something I haven't been subject to before, so I was really interested to to go through that process. Um, and you know, overall, I think it was it showed me how serious um, this person is, how serious the U.S. Soccer Federation is, um, and it made a really good impression on me. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to take part in the Gold Cup, which starts on Saturday. You know, I'll be cheering the team on and, and of course, watching all the games. But the, the first time I'll be back with the team is going to be in September. And we truly will use this time um, from now until then to, to strategic plan, to, to look at staff, to focus on, um, you know, how do we get better on and off the field. All right, Herc, I want to ask you about the process and uh, the return date that we get there, September. But first... When I first saw this interview, I texted you. You said you couldn't believe that he'd done the interview. Why? Yeah. Well, how many people cover soccer in the United States? And, and why is it like it's the Jim Brums of the world that are, that are getting these interviews? And, and why put him out right now? There's, there's no need to. He could only get himself in trouble, really. Or just get people more angry about why are you doing this type of interview and not the actual interviews people want to see. Um, that struck me as odd. Like, it struck me as odd that they felt forced to actually announce the coach just because somebody leaked or broke a story. I mean, it's somebody reporting that it's Greg Berhalter. It's nobody forcing your hand to say it is Greg Berhalter. Until you do or Greg Berhalter does, it's just hearsay. So there are a lot of things I don't understand, um, but they have their reasons, I guess. So a couple of things that jump out there is we find out when he's going to take over the team, September with the Gold Cup, also some of the things that he'll be doing while the Gold Cup is going on. And then we also heard kind of a deep dive into the process. Is there anything there, Herc, that you took away? Lots of emotional tests and, and intelligence tests. I mean, this, this seems... The ELO seems ratings, right? Is that what they're called, ELO ratings? You know, what it, you know what I think, Herc? I'm starting to question whether every other candidate or any other candidate went through the extreme betting that Greg Berhalter did. Did they have time to do all of these tests with the, with the dozens of other candidates we're hearing? Okay, we heard about 10 candidates, right? Here, here's my issue here. In their attempt to be more transparent, they only confuse the public even more. And, and, and this is where I wanna go to. Like, how many of those candidates actually got past the initial phase, onto this ELO rating, or, or whatever that is, onto the psychological and testing that they were so you know, heavily scrutinized for, or so heavily involved in. Like, so, so you're telling me mm -hmm. that if Jose Mourinho 
did this testing, and let's say he did the ELO testing and didn't score well. Do we even know what the? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But Jose Mourinho doesn't score well in U.S. Soccer's testing for a candidate. You're going to tell me he's not a good coach and he's not a viable option for the U.S. Men's National Team? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. In their attempt to be transparent, they just com they just confuse people even more. I mean, I, I can't tell you this. Ten candidates, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they said. At least ten. That's what has been reported, yeah. Okay. They spoke to. It doesn't say they interviewed. Because I can tell you, okay, from multiple sources that I've spoken to, one of those candidates was only spoken to, never even interviewed, and that was Hugo Perez. Okay? Mm -hmm. So in the Doug McIntyre report where they said a Central American coach, everybody assumed it was Hugo Perez, it was. But it wasn't an interview. It was just a discussion, mm. and that's it. So what allows somebody else to go from discussion to interview to testing to this phase to that phase? We don't know. Hmm. Uh, you asked why this interview was done on Jim Rome. I encourage people to listen to it because it's our first real chance to listen to Greg Berhalter. It's about um, 10, 15 minutes long. Uh, what comes through clearly when you listen to this interview is that there's a friendship, a real friendship between Greg, not just Greg Berhalter and Jim Rome, but between the Berhalter family and the Rome family. And so I think that's why you can understand why Greg Berhalter would have gone on this specific platform to talk, talk, to talk about it. And, and almost it feels as though there were talking points, right? Like we want to talk about the process. We want to, to make sure that everybody is, is buying in to just how thorough this process was. What's interesting about that, Herc, is that this rhetoric drops at the same time that we're getting other reports that contradict that. You talk about Hugo Perez. Well, we now have a report from Julian Laurent, of course, our colleague here at ESPN, about Patrick Vieira. And Jules is reporting that Patrick Vieira was spoken to, was, as Jules puts it, keen on the job, but then not contact again, right? The, the, the talks do not progress. On top of that, our colleague, Kyle Bonagura at ESPN, is reporting that sources told ESPN that there was a limit on the budget, right? That, that the idea of going out and getting a, quote, top-tier $10 million a year candidate was beyond U.S. soccer's capabilities. Not what we heard from J.T. Batson, who told us there was no budget. So we keep hearing from the Federation and Greg Berhalter, process, 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 believe in this process. But what we're hearing from reports, Herc, makes me really, truly, again, question the validity and just how thorough this process truly was. Not just you. And, and listen, they don't have to answer to fans or any fan with a tinfoil hat on and, and going down a conspiracy rabbit hole, all that, except, but you're just adding fuel to the fire. And if there ever was a candidate that ticked off so many boxes, it was Patrick Vieira. Mm -hmm. I mean, coaching Major League Soccer, uh, uh, European pedigree, as a player and coach, coach at the highest levels, was just coaching Crystal Palace uh, in the Premier League. So it checked off so many different boxes where you're like, if there was anybody who could actually do this process on vet and go from there, that would be a good case study for to compare to Greg Berhalter or to whoever the other candidates may be, it would be Patrick Vieira. And we're coming to find out he got ghosted? Mm. He was ghosted? He was, he was keen on it. I mean, look, if you, if, if you don't know who Julian Laurent is, you don't watch ESPN FC, trust me. Anything about French football, Jules is going to know it. So uh, I think the fact that, that Jules is telling us, right, that he was keen on it tells you there was very serious interest there. And it is disappointing to hear that that doesn't seem to have been followed up on. Uh, let's transition. ELO ratings, bro. You love, you love the ELO ratings. Electric Light Orchestra. Is that what it is? Uh, yes, the, the music fans, for anybody uh, wondering.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's talk Gold Cup, shall we, Hercules Gomez? The Gold Cup is coming up. Let's get back to on the field, huh? U.S. training in Chicago ahead of their opener against Jamaica at Soldier Field. The U.S., of course, the defending champions looking for their eighth Gold Cup title all time and still under the leadership of B.J. Callahan. Cade Cal and Matt Turner at the podium today. Let's hear what they had to say. Yeah, obviously um, I haven't played it, had a chance to play Jamaica yet, but they're going to be a very direct team, and um, we're going to be ready, uh, really ready for them. Yeah, I'd say, you know, we looked at them pretty extensively, and this is probably the strongest Jamaica side that, the U.S. might have ever faced. Um, they've got a lot of players, a lot of dual nationals. They've been able to entice to come over, a lot of Premier League experience. Um, so it's going to be a really, a really tough challenge for us. It's going to be a physical game. I think they're a lot better on the ball than they probably used to be. So um, yeah, we expect direct physical game, um, but also some some good soccer, some good football to be played. So again, it's a strong team with strong individuals. Um, we're hoping our collective is stronger. Meanwhile, Herc, Mexico training in Houston ahead of their opener on Sunday against Honduras. El Tri looking to bounce back from the 3-0 humiliation in Las Vegas, a result that led to Diego Coca's firing and Jimmy Lozano's appointment as interim manager. Here's how Lozano was welcomed by the team. Sé que los momentos no han sido los mejores, pero también sé que de estas circunstancias, de estas situaciones, es de donde se forjan las mejores historias de vida, y en este caso de deporte. ¿sí? Hay que tener la capacidad de reinventarnos primero. Hay que abrazar las oportunidades. Tenemos muy rápidamente una nueva oportunidad de poner el nombre de México muy en alto. Porque los mexicanos, y recuérdenlo siempre, sabemos y nos las ingeniamos para salir adelante, para lograr nuestros objetivos, y de eso hay que estar convencidos en todo momento desde ya. All right, so here's a look at Mexico's starting 11 at the last Olympic bronze medal match, which they won 3-1 over Japan. Why are we showing you this? It's the last time Lozano led a, and I'm saying it in air quotes, Mexican national team, of course, uh, under 23s with a few overage additions. Herc, as we look at this team, many of whom are on the Gold Cup roster, should Jimmy Lozano rely on the Olympic core at the Gold Cup? Yeah, I mean, in theory, yes. And, and the reason I say in theory is because if you look at the spine, it's set, right? With the exception of uh, Luis Romo, you can add Edson Alvarez in there if he's healthy. With the exception of Henry Martin, uh, Santiago Jimenez, uh, if you so wish to. And, and that's the spine that you should use in this Gold Cup. That's the spine that you should go with going forward with the exceptions that you know, the injuries of Chucky Lozano, mm. uh, of Tecate Corona, uh, of uh, Alexis Vega, et cetera, et cetera. That's who you should rely on, at least in the immediate, because we don't know what's going to happen to, uh, to, excuse me, Jaime Lozano after this. But as far as Gold Cup, absolutely. you got the spine set, you've got a few nice additions, and you know these players. Okay, so you're saying all eight? All eight should start? I mean, are you going, are you, are you basing that on kind of 
continuity that this group will know how to play under Jimmy Lozano. You don't have time to work it. It's a tournament, so you're throwing them in. You're saying all eight because I think there's three or four you can make a solid case well, for, but I don't know fine. that I'd say all eight. So, so yeah, Memo Choa. Okay, Cesar agree. Montes, Johan Vasquez. Agree, agree. Edson Alvarez, because exception of Luis Romo, right? Yep. Sebastián Córdoba. I'm in on Córdoba. I don't need to see Charlie Rodriguez. I didn't say Charlie. And then you got Santi Jiménez. What is that, seven? So you got seven. I'm, I'm taking Henry out, and I'm taking Jorge Sanchez out, too. I think it's Julian Araujo's turn. That will be interesting because uh, he doesn't know Julian, and he knows mm. Jorge Sanchez. And I know that many aren't keen on Jorge Sanchez. He still does play in the area Eredivisie, uh, but Julian is a very special player two-way player that offers you something different. If you want to stay at home right back, Julian is more your man because he's very, very good physically uh, and gifted defending that way. But Jorge Sanchez, I think he's spoken very highly of him before, and he actually didn't have a bad um, Olympic Games with Jaime Lozano. So I could see him there repeating again. As far as the left side, you saw Angulo on that lineup. Mm -hmm. He actually played because Eric Aguirre, I believe, was either injury or yellow card accumulation for that, for that last game. Um, but that's another player who was there. But you also have Gerardo Arteaga, excuse me, who ended up not going to those Olympic Games because he had a fallout with um, Tata Martino, of all people. Yeah, hey, you know what's interesting is we asked it on the last show about Diego Lainez, Piojo Alvarado, who would he take? And I think we thought based on the fact that he used Linus at the Olympics, it would be Linus. And I think because you can look at the qualities that Linus brings and, and make a case for that on his own. But when you actually look back, Herc, at that Olympic tournament, you see that Jimmy Lozano gave Diego Linus opportunities early in that tournament. He yep. started the first two games. Then he goes to the bench for the third group phase game, to the bench for the first knockout game, to the bench for the semifinal against Brazil, which is the most critical match. And then he only returns to the starting lineup for the bronze medal match. So I'm thinking... Maybe Jaime Lozano said, I've already given Diego Lainez his shot. Piojo Alvarado, based on form and the fact that I haven't seen him uh, at this role in this level, deserves a shot more. So he could be another player that, that plays a role here for Chile. Absolutely. And, and this is, I understand what you're saying about Alvarado, but if I'm thinking out loud about who actually impressed in that tournament, people don't want to hear this, but it was Uriel Antuna, mm. Sebastián Córdoba, and the missing player in Alexis Vega that's not here. Those are the three yep. players I remember standing out the most for Jaime Lozano. Yeah, Antuna's another one there who started at the right wing. He's uh, definitely part of the core that should return to action here in the Gold Cup. Herc, speaking of, time to dust off those brackets. I know March Madness is well in the past, but let's do some bracket predictions for the upcoming Gold Cup. Of course, we know not all the CONCACAF powers are bringing all of their best players, but given the rosters that we have seen so far, Herc, why don't you show us your brackets. Everybody be calm. I'm sure this won't upset anybody. We'll all be rational about this. Nobody freak out. Um, so I went with, uh, obviously, Jamaica. Let me go for just a few things here. Canada. Okay. Canada's missing some big players. Um, I think Jamaica, uh, off of points and goal scored and whatnot, will come in second in their group. Uh, don't mind that. Just keep going. I think they'll beat this Canadian side. I think Mexico's going to come out very strong, exploding out of the gates with Jimmy Lozano. Like, group play, I think they're actually going to do very well. It's not where I'm worried about them. The other side, the United States, Guatemala, I'll take the U.S. there. Panama uh, versus Qatar, I'll take Panama there. I like what Christians is doing with Panama. Let me focus on United States, Panama. I think they uh, advance over Panama, um, even though it is a B uh, U.S. men's national team, they've got enough quality um, at the back, some very athletic center backs, good passing backs, uh, Matt Turner in goal. In the midfield, Mikhailovic I think could do very well. And up top, I think they got some firepower. That's, if they're on a, if you allow them as time and space, they can hurt you. Uh, okay, Jamaica, Mexico. Mexico worries me, 
even though it's their A team because we've seen it over the last year, year and a half, they struggle with physicality. They struggle with any team that is dynamic, any team that could run, they can't run with them. They can't keep up, and I'm talking about midfield on. Like they've got some speed, some, some speed stars themselves, but they really struggle when it comes to physicality. And proof of that just recently was the US men's national team, which say what you will, that A team was a very good team. And Panama, even though they beat Panama, they struggled mightily. And you can say it's low confidence, which comes into play here, the low confidence. You can say it's the fan base, the disillusion that the fan base has with this team, which also comes into play. I guarantee you the only reason you'll see that stadium in Houston full is because many people already bought their tickets. If not, mm. we may see another scenario like that Panama versus Mexico game in Las Vegas. This is a, this is a team right now that many pundits and fans in Mexico, in Mexico, aren't high on. They don't have the confidence in. I can easily see them exploding out of the gates with Jimmy Lozano, and when it comes to a physically gifted team uh, with some very good firepower up top, like Jamaica, they can struggle. And now Jamaica. Jamaica is honestly one of my favorites in this tournament because the U.S. will bring a B team, Canada will bring a B team, Mexico is low on confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Panama is not quite there yet. Jamaica, out of the last four Gold Cups, has been runner-up twice, and made a semifinal in the third one. So they've done very well with a lot less. Damari Gray just committed. You've got Michael Anto Mikel Antonio, excuse me, uh, and you also have Leon Bailey, and you want to throw in Bobby Reed there. you got some Premier League talent mm. with one of the best goalkeepers in the region, and Andre Blake, a team that's physically very difficult to play against. I, I like the mods. I just saw some odds for them, by the way, like at plus 2,200 somewhere. So I, I like that. Okay, we'll get the odds a little bit. I thought I saw plus 1,400. I thought that was a good value, but you're telling me plus 2,200. Uh, there is a lot of hype around this Jamaican team, Herc. You're obviously buying in on it. Uh, as soon as their roster dropped, people said, look out for this team in the Gold Cup. All right, let's uh, take a look at my brackets. Now, first things wow. first here. Shocker. I do not have the U.S. winning their group, Herc. I'm buying in on the Jamaica hype as well. I think the U.S. with a B team and not much time to work. I think it's fair to assume they might not come out of the gates fast. And they're opening, hello, against Jamaica. So Jamaica puts in a good performance in that first game. I think they could very well win the group. Yeah, okay. So I think U.S. comes in second in the group, which is obviously going to infect the, uh, the rest of my bracket. I've got Canada-USA in one quarterfinal because i got Canada winning their group. I've got Mexico-Costa Rica in another quarterfinal. Mexico I have winning their group. Costa Rica I have second. I'm not very confident in that Costa Rica pick, uh, by the way. It, outside of Joel Campbell and I don't know who else, Celso Borges, I don't think they have no. another midfielder or attacker that has more than 10 caps, okay? But they got a lot of experience in defense, no que Navas. Uh, but trouble there potentially for Costa Rica, so I think Mexico will have a, a bit of an easy task there in the quarterfinal. Opposite side of the bracket, I got Jamaica, like I said, winning the group, Guatemala who just beat Costa Rica in a friendly. I got coming in second place. Panama, I believe, will win Group C. Sorry, El Salvador. And I got Haiti. It's the year of the Haitians, uh, after what we saw from Violet. So I got Haiti as the uh, second best team out of Group B. Panama to beat Haiti, Jamaica to beat Guatemala, US to beat Canada, Mexico to beat Costa Rica. So that's my final four. We got a USA-Mexico in the semis, Herc. I'm going Mexico. La venganza. La revancha, there you go. Revenge for Mexico against the U.S. B team. And then uh, Jamaica to beat Panama and give us a Mexico-Jamaica final, a repeat of the 2015 Gold Cup final in Philadelphia, won by Mexico 3-1. to 
and I'm believing in Mexico's A-team. I don't necessarily believe against Mexico for Mexico's A-team against everybody else's A-team, but when it's pretty much everybody else's B-team, I gotta still believe in the depth of the Mexican pool. I gotta believe in a managerial bump from Jimmy Lozano, and I think Mexico not only gets to the final hook, which you don't believe, I say they win it. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I mean, it's sports. What do you want me to say? We could easily be wrong, and it could be like, not the US, not Mexico, not Jamaica. We could easily see Canada in the final. That's the way it works. And that's the difficult thing about judging this Gold Cup is because they're alternate lineups. So how much can you really judge? You don't really know who's going to come out and play until you actually see it. Until we see the first game and see how Jamaica mm -hmm. plays against the U.S. men's national team, we don't really know if we can take this Jamaican team for real because I see this all the time and many people are right. We've seen Jamaica, we've given Jamaica that Yep. That hope before. We've given I Jamaica. I sent them to Qatar. I picked them to go to Qatar. And look what happened, right? Mm -hmm. But we've also seen a Mexico team that people count out before. That's been in a bad moment. Or a U.S. men's national team B slash C team who ends up winning the thing like they did last time. Anything can happen. What I will say here is Mexico easily has the strongest team on paper. They're, they're, they're the strongest A side in this tournament. So they are one of the favorites. There's just so much negativity around this team right now. It's like a weight. And when I see this team, and even though Jimmy Lozano in that, it wasn't even a private moment with the team. It was something they made public for the fans. Even though he's selling the hope, he's peddling that hope. I don't know if it's there. I don't know if they even they themselves believe in, in one another at this moment. I can easily see in this start, flying out of the gates, and then come crashing down come quarters or semis. Herc says Mexico is a favorite. What do the odds makers say? It was kind of tough to get Gold Cup futures odds, but we, uh, we dug around for them, and here's what we found. Oh, wow, according to Caesars. All right, these are different from the ones that I saw earlier today. The U.S. is the favorite at plus 200. Look at that, uh, Mexico plus 275. Jamaica at plus 600 here. So not as good a value, but still uh, maybe a decent value on the Jamaicans as a potential dark horse to win the Gold Cup. They've come close recently. Uh, will this be the year that Jamaica gets their trophy? Let's talk Major League Soccer, because we've got MLS talk from none other than Gareth Bale, the now-retired Welshman and, of course, 2022 MLS Cup champ with LAFC, was asked about his MLS experience in light of Lionel Messi's pending arrival to Major League Soccer. Here's what Gareth Bale had to say about the league. Yeah, no, it, it's good. It's a lot more um, chilled. Like, if you lose at Madrid, it's like the world's ended. you crucified, you, you feel down, you go home, you're not happy. As where they, they kind of accept losing a bit more. And I think there's no consequence to, you can't get relegated, you can't, yeah. you just lose a game, you go to the next one. They kind of accept losing a lot better over there. And they know how to lose, but they also, every win, they celebrate like you've won a championship. So um, I, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it. The, the travel's difficult. Like just away games, like four or five hours. If you go and play in Texas, yeah, bring a breathing mask, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, the, the things that you don't see is like the humidity, the travel. Yeah. They do have a big effect, and um, especially when you're playing so many games. Shots fired, Herc. What do you make of Gareth Bale's comments? You think that shots fired? Yeah, yeah. They accept losing in Major League Soccer. It's They're more better at losing. They accept losing. And then he said they accept losing a lot better. So he said it twice. Okay. Hey, what's the shot? What's the shot? Is it at Real Madrid or is it Major League Soccer? Which one do you think it is? Well, I think he could have said 
that things are just way more heated and competitive at Real Madrid. I think that's what he is saying. But he also made the point to say that they accept losing in Major League Soccer and it's more chill. They're, he didn't just say that things are toxic losing, so they're not at Real toxic Madrid. He also said lose. it's not as competitive in I think MLS. You're, I think you're getting lost into what he's saying. There's a game lost in Major League Soccer. Uh-huh. Give me a big club in Major League Soccer. Give me a big, big club in Major League Soccer. Go ahead. Any club. Give, give me a big club. Uh, Toronto FC. They spend a lot of money. Okay. There's a game lost in Toronto, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to get toxic fans trying to car bomb you. You're not going to get mm-hmm. toxic fans online sending you pictures of guns. You're not going to get harassed if you go to a restaurant. You're not going to not want to go out. There's no consequence to losing. Seth, <laughs> you're taking this way to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's telling mm-hmm. you right there that Messi's going to enjoy life. He's right. The games don't mean as much yes, yes, on this yes. side as they do if you play in Real Madrid. Is that a shocker to you? No. Does that surprise no. you? No, it's not a shocker, Herc. Okay. Of course, the comparison to Real Madrid, MLS is less competitive. But when he says you accept losing, and when he points specifically to the lack of relegation, making it not as competitive, there are no consequences. I think that's a valid criticism, Herc. When you look at soccer around the rest of the world, it does have higher stakes. Seth, when you can I'm get relegated, with you. it is more intense. When you look at MLS and you compare it to the international product uh-huh. where there are real stakes, it is watered down. That's what he's telling you. No, he's telling you they are better at it. They're not toxic at it. Better, they're better at losing? Who wants to be better at losing, Herc? Well, you tell me. <laughs> this is what I will say, Seb. I understand what you're going for. Mm-hmm. You're trying to say that games least means less here. It means less in the United States, yes. in Canada. Yeah. I will agree with you. Mm-hmm. But don't make it into a pro-rel discussion. I am pro-pro-rel. No, I would say the same thing about because Liga Mekis Because he's talking about well. Real Madrid. Liga Mekis has lost its competitive edge because it got rid of relegation. I'm not saying that. The players who came back from the World Cup told us that. Yeah, but that's not Gareth Bell telling you that. He's not saying Mexico, it's, they lost their competitive edge because they don't have pro-rel. He's telling you that teams like Real Madrid and their fans are toxic when they go bad, when things ah. go south. That's what he's saying, and that's why Lionel Messi will enjoy it. And I'm no advocate of these truthers, like you don't need pro-rel or MLS. It means something because we're sad if we lose. I understand that, mm-hmm. but I think the message is getting lost here. Okay, all right, so he's really just taking shots at Real Madrid, which, let's be honest, it wouldn't be the first time that Gareth Bale did that, would it? Uh, parting shot. Transfer window in Syria doesn't open until July 1st, but the transfer mill is up and running. Fabrizio Romano reporting Juventus are in advanced talks to sign Timothy Weah for a reported fee of 12 million euros from Lille. Now, the potential transfer was discussed on today's edition of ESPN FC. Here's the aforementioned Julian Laurent with more. One year left he had on his contract at Lille, I think he needed a change. Uh, Lille have been really good to him since he moved from PhD as a, as a youngster. But this season was a little bit disappointed. He, de- he deputized a lot as right back and left back. He only started 18 games in, the, in, in Ligue 1 over the whole season. So I, I think it was time for him to go. Juventus is a really good opportunity. We know that they like those kind of really good deals in terms of in the finances, young players, they don't have much money, they just signed Arik Milik from Marseille for 7 million, so this is the kind of, of price range that they can afford, and for them, a, a player as versatile as him, as we saw in Ligue 1 again, could be very interesting, and he's still young, there, there will be value even if he leaves the club or when he leaves the club, so yeah, I think, I think this is a really good project for him, and that he's quite keen on, so I wouldn't be surprised if this one was coming to a close very, very soon. 
Wea to Juventus, Herc, what do you think? I don't know. And Juve's kind of doing like a fire sale, right? They're trying to, or at least per reports, they're getting rid of a lot of players, could be mm -hmm. rebuilding. Uh, Cuadrado's 35 years old. Can I see Wea uh, in a situation like Cuadrado where he's a winger for the national team, plays like maybe right back uh, for Juventus or, or possibly on the wing if needed? Yeah, I could potentially see that. You obviously know of the importance of George Wea, mm -hmm. his father, and what he meant to Serie A, what he meant to Italian football. He has a name there. I can easily see this working out. Juve is a massive club, man. It's a massive club. And when you look at the other maybe teams that were uh, interested or were that named of interest, uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid, I think I really like this for him if Juve can rebuild and be a serious team. Mm. Okay, so uh, Tim Way, a potential move to Juventus. Maybe he gets to team up with Weston McKinney, huh? That could be very interesting if he does end up back at Juventus. The other thing that's noteworthy about this is, you know who's been linked to Juventus a lot? Who? Christian Pulisic. Yes. So I think if Tim Way goes, we probably assume that that's not the, the landing spot then for Christian Pulisic, right? You, you're not taking both of them. I don't know. I, I, I probably shouldn't divulge, but uh, spoke to Christian Pulisic's father uh, in Miami, and obviously, there's a big price tag that comes with Christian mm -hmm. Pulisic, and he was adamant that money doesn't move this kid. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a, a sacrifice to go somewhere where he can be valued, he can be loved, and he could have that opportunity. I think that's going to be a motivating factor coming up for him. All right, uh, very well. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Monday with a full recap of the Gold Cup weekend. United States plays on Saturday. Mexico plays on Sunday. Herc will be, am I correct, in Phoenix on Monday, traveling with the U.S. team for the Gold Cup. So we will have an on-the-ground presence on Monday. show. Come say hi. Come say hi. Come say hi to the crew of Football Thank America. You, we'll see you on Monday. He's Eric. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching.